1: Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf and welcome to my podcast, Cleaning Up the Mental Mess. In today's podcast, I interview Hama Houtini, author, entrepreneur and successful businessman about how his life, his identity, his mental health and his body were literally shattered through a series of tragedies and how he came back from this to be a successful businessman, husband and father. We talk about how to find the courage to break free from ideas holding you back how to face rejection and isolation, the key mindsets needed to get through any tough time and how to develop these mindsets and more. Before we begin, I just want to remind you about my mental health retreat, which is running this year in Dallas, Texas, from the 2nd to the 4th of December. It's going to be an amazing retreat where you're going to learn practical steps on how to use the neurocycle to understand and manage your mental health. We have a great guest speaker. We also are offering CMEs and CEUs, so go to drleafconference.com to register. The link will be in the show notes. And now just one more reminder. This podcast is for educational purposes and is not medical advice. If you need medical advice, please contact the appropriate medical professional. Now on to today's episode. Welcome to another episode of Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess. And today I am so excited to interview someone very special, someone who has been through so much, who has such an incredible story and really is Someone who can teach us about resilience and bouncing back after a lot of challenges. So before I tell you more about this amazing man, I just want to welcome Hama Hartouni into the studio with me today. And Hama, thank you for joining us today. And I'm just going to read a tiny bit of your bio and then you can take it from there. Hartouni grew up in Iran where being gay was illegal and can be punishable by death. He rose up after abuse, bullying and a near-death accident that left him unable to walk. As a young adult, he moved to America as an outcast gay Middle Eastern man who didn't speak English and lived off food stamps while also supporting his mother and siblings who later came. Today, Hartouni, based in Los Angeles, is one of the country's most successful real estate entrepreneurs. His real estate practice exceeded $1.2 billion in sales volume in 2020. He is happily married and one half of a power couple, and he and his husband have three children by a surrogate and a home filled with pets. Welcome to the studio today. I can't wait to hear your story.
0: I appreciate you having me. Thank you.
1: And you have written a book about your story and the story is getting, the book is, can you hold it up? Getting back a story of resilience, self-acceptance and success. And I love that because those are three of my favorite, you know, two two of my favorite words, resilience and self-acceptance. I mean, those cannot be separated. So I love the way you put those together. So where do we begin? I mean, you've got so many great points. So maybe we should begin at the beginning. Tell us your story because you had an incredible accident that happened. And where would you like to begin?
0: I was just going to say, okay, I'll give you the short version. And then you tell me where you want to expand. I am an Armenian Christian, lived in Iran most of my life. I was 20 years old when we moved. I moved by myself to back to the U.S., However, I was born in Hollywood Hospital at age of 30 days old. My mom decided to move back to Iran because she was in love and my dad was back home. And she moved back and I never came back until I was 20 years old. The first part of my life, it was growing up being different, which I always thought I'm sick, I'm something is wrong with me. Why am I so different? If you read the book, there's a chapter that I visited doctors to try to get a hormone therapy, to try to become manly or hairy and whatever, to just, just me. You yeah. know, there is no gay in Iran. And I just didn't even know I was, you know, I didn't know what that meant. And then of course, growing up with my father, who credit goes to him for shaping my life. He taught me a lot of things in a very wrong way that no father should, but I had I wrote the stories as a lesson of everything he has done, although could have damaged me and maybe has, but I was strong enough and the resilience come from that, that I learned what not to do versus what to do. And of course, at the age of 18, something major happened in my life that, again, I hope no one goes through this. I was Driving back from college and, and uh, you know, being 18 years old, I had an image that something in my car and, you know, I'm not extremely religious or go, I grew up Christian, but, you know, I'm, but it, it's, it's very weird because what I have, it's so hard to describe. I had an image of a person next to me said, be careful, you're going to die. So I pulled over, I put a seatbelt on, which 20 years ago, you don't wear seatbelt in Iran or cars didn't have seatbelt. I don't even know how that happened. And then we got back. I got back on the road. My few minutes later, I my car was turning constantly. I felt no control. And then I hit a bus face to face. My car pulled, and I walked out of my car and waited when nothing happened to me. And I waited for police to get there. And I was thinking, oh, my God, my dad will kill me because the car got down. And then another car hit me from the back and my book broke. So that event is the rebirth of my life in a sense of, like, I believe people have two lives is, and the second life starts when you realize you only have one life, you know? So, so I, that was my time that I didn't know that will cause my parents or my dad allow me to come to the U S but. Apparently, I was not going to walk. And when they were taking me to the surgery room, which was very dramatic, it took 16 hours and on and on. They took bones from my hips to level it off. And the doctor told him that I'm never going to walk. And I told my dad, as they were pushing the car to the surgery room, I said, you never let me see the U.S. And that's where I was born. And he said that if you're awake, when you come out, when you walk, you will go and visit. And he thought, I'm never going to walk. And of course, it was easy for commi- to commit to that. And 13 months later of multiple surgeries and laying down in bed, which were, if you just lay down in bed for 10 minutes, don't touch your phone, no computer, no TV, look up in the ceiling because you, you're in a cast. The 10 minutes is like nine hours. It just doesn't, you know, So thir- yeah, 11 months of that. That's why I have a lot of respect for any parents who have kids that they struggle because my mom had to give me bath and and everything else in my bed, you know. So then I moved to the U.S. I did uh, serve in the military in Iran. Although you're born in another country, you still have to serve. So I served in the military with a wheelchair and we purchased the remaining of the serve the period that I had to serve. And because they were selling it out. And then I moved to the US with a walker and I was like, I am never going back because it wasn't about the country or it wasn't about my mom or dad. I just felt maybe I'll start something new and I won't be bullied. No one knows me. My history is gone and I can be new and I can build something new and I'm going to be a little bit manly so no one can question anything. And then struggled. Gabby girlfriend and then, you know, my desire. And then I struggled with my own self and couldn't accept myself for a while. And then my mom was putting pressure on me. And she, they, I moved my brother and sister, my mom slowly. And my dad didn't come. And he was hoping we will struggle enough here because he's a wealthy man back on me. We'll go back and so stop paying for everything. And I said, I'm going to work and we're going to make enough so we don't have to go back. Because I was the responsible person. I caused that move. And I remember my mom every night was, where are you going? Where are you going? Who are your friends? So she knew something that she couldn't accept it. And I was going to West Hollywood and, and having my double life. And, just, and I was really not comfortable with it. And finally, one day I was like, if I just tell her and she will disown me, and then I will just be free. And so I told her and that didn't go well. We went through, she tried to convert me through church therapists to outed me to a radio station, a Persian radio station, which pretty much outed me to entire family and broke my phone, threw my clothes in a dumpster, threw bleach on top. She turned the the gas on, closed the window. She says, if you don't become straight, I'm going to kill myself. And I'm sharing all this to say that whoever is watching this, that I have three kids now, and my mom is in my house, goes, comes back, cooks. I on my anniversary, she's the first person with a cake, and she yells at me if I'm not doing anything special. And on my annual vacation, she's always with me, with the kids. She, My husband and her talk. It's what I'm saying, the end result. 18 oh, years wow.
1: Years. That's that beautiful. Is- it had a good story, a good ending. That's amazing.
0: Yeah, and the lesson from that was that it took me 21 years to come out to myself, and I wanted everyone around me in 20 minutes to accept me. And it was just, everybody needed their own time. And I was broke. I worked in a restaurant. I cleaned restroom. They fired me. I did a good job the next night. And, and I worked in small places, and I just was going to be a dentist and be making the family proud. And then I got into real estate, not because I love homes. It just had no money and I had to support my family. And then I fell in love with process of winning, not homes, not real estate, just the process of being good at it. And I'm currently have 500 agents and we do around 1.4 billion in volume. And I'm in LA and we have three kids. And I think the accident taught me one thing that if I die tomorrow... I have done everything I want every day until now.
1: That is amazing. That's the short version of your story. Wow, there's so much to unpack there. So many lessons and so many fascinating insights that you developed. When you do what you love, like running, like racing, like enjoying the great outdoors, you want to do it for life. Inside Tracker can help. Inside Tracker was founded in 2009 by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometrics. Using their patented algorithm, Inside Tracker analyzes your body's data to provide you with a clear picture of what's going on inside of you and to offer you science-backed recommendations for positive diet and lifestyle changes. Then Inside Tracker tracks your progress every day, every step of the way towards reaching your performance goals and living a longer, healthier life. For a limited time, you can get 25% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com/toleaf The link and details will be in the show notes. Let's talk about your mom. Let's talk about that because that's really, that's amazing. And I'm so glad you jumped to the end as well there, but you, you, you had, she even threatened to commit suicide if you continued in that lifestyle. So what happened to change her mind? What happened there in that transformation? Did it take long? How did you handle that? What happened there? Tell us a little bit more about that part of the story.
0: Initially, I started lying a lot of lies and a lot of lies and that to basically no mom i'm not i just i changed my mom it was a phase hoping things will calm down and he did for a temporary time but she knew i was lying she knew all her life she's i danced i i had friends. I now then when I accepted myself, I start noticing that how could you not know? You know? And and I get it, you know, the, because the first thing when I told my sister that I I am gay, and she said she did this. And she said, Dad will kill mom. Like, so I I get it. You know, it's like not about me. It's about them. Right. That's so my aunt and everyone around were like, it's it's she was ashamed of that. It's big deal, and especially in my culture. When you move, then remember, when you are financially broke and emotionally beat up by your husband, and you have nothing except your three kids, and then you have to work through to make sure that people think you're perfect because all that's all she did all her life. No, she didn't beat me. These bruises not because of that. No, we have money he gives me so much when he didn't like all of that.
1: She now had to has, live like that. That's what your mom was living through. She was living through an abusive right. marriage and had to put on a face because of culture, religion, you know, all that, that stuff that, that traumatizes us and doesn't allow us to be truthful. She, yeah. She, she, yeah. So she, she was in total trauma. Time. Exactly. Sorry.
0: Now she has to say, Oh, by the, you know, I have to deal with that. So I, Initially I tried, I couldn't do much because her sisters and family were all also extremely homophobic, some still. But but then what I did without knowing, I tried to change her environment to expose her to things. You know, when you don't know that you don't know, it's very hard to change anything. So I needed her. Now she knows something she didn't know, but then I want her to meet new people. So it was an organization that I knew that. They had a therapist that was open to talk to her and I made her do and it did not go well. But exposed her to there's another Armenian mother who has a gay son who's a therapist who's been in the of 30 years, look, and then she shot it down, but it was a you know, she got exposed to that. And, and I think what happened throughout the time she realized because gay in Iran is, you know, if someone is extremely feminine. Or they're go through a transition to them that gay. You can't be between. There's nothing like you can desire anything you, or no. You can be a woman like woman. This got kind of a transition. So she thought I'm gonna be I don't know belly dancer and I'm gonna be I don't know doing that so the uh, extreme stuff and they associate with I don't know alcohol drug like they they don't.
1: Oh, it's got a really bad understanding. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so I had to educate her. It's like, mom, like although right now I have three kids and I do drink, I don't consider myself alcoholic, but trust me, last I need a glass of wine. But I needed to educate mom. That's not what it is. Let me. I mean, why do? So it was a period of three, four years of. I'm very proud of her how fast she was adapting, unlike her environment wasn't. And I think partially also she realized that she's gonna lose me because I was withdrawing. And the last thing I think, re, I I believe it helped because I was financially supporting. I wasn't depending on her. And so it really helped with the dynamic of the conversation that I'm not going anywhere. I'm still the one supporting. Uh, you can't just push me away. I'm not going to change that easily if you want. I am who I am. And remember, I was myself struggling with it. So it wasn't like, I 20 years ago you didn't have gay pride you didn't no, have
1: no. you didn't have any support
0: no it's different no. Now. So- it's a
1: different world yeah but there what you're saying there about your mom changing over that time period what's really the whole it's amazing everything but this what struck me the most was that she said she realized she was losing you so there, love conquers all you know that love for your child made her eventually see another perspective and you know, I think this is what's so important, if, if I, if what I take away from your story here is that if something is hurting someone else, you've got to look at what you're doing. Why are you hurting someone else? If your belief system is hurting someone else, and that's what she, it sounds like she made that transition that she recognized, okay, well, her culture, her religious beliefs were hurting her own son, so it can't be right. And she shifted and that mother's love won the day. And now she's part of your family and your children's lives and your husband's life. And I mean, that's, a, that's an amazing thing. And, and for you to also have been able to process that and deal with it and forgive and move forward is also a sign that, you know, really it's so cheesy, but love does conquer all. You know, it's a really foundational principle of how we survive. So that's how I read what, what you're telling me then in, in this. I don't know if you want to comment on that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the cute story is recently she came where I, I was making Armenian Turkish coffee in the kitchen. We do that and she brings cake and the kids... Histories, yeah, and she goes, "Oh my God, you don't believe what happened? I was in a grocery store, and this woman. Do you remember Jeanette? I said no, and she gives me a description. I'm like no, and goes like she remembered me, hugged me. Goes like, oh my God, and you has harma, and goes like great because they remember me from back almost oldest. So was like, is he married? Goes like yes, he's married, has three kids, and she said, what is is the wife Armenian, and I said no, it's actually a husband, and he's from from Pakistan. And then she did these things with her shoulder and I just listened to the story of who she was I was watching her. And she was like, she hugged me. And she goes like, I'm, I'm shocked how supportive you are. My, my family member is gay. And I've been not trying, trying to find a way to talk to him. I'm going to call him. You inspired me. I was like, so she was part of a change for someone else. I think people, I think ultimately you, you do the right thing or you, are rise above it when you're part of a change,
1: part of and- the change, and part of seeing the bigger picture of life. You know, and, and and that these it's that this categorization and these judgments are not, not not productive. They don't, you know, they're not going to make you happy and peaceful and love. And you know, the, whereas, so that uh, that's that's what a great story. I love that. That's incredible. Okay, so now you let's 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 now transition. You you eventually managed to go from. Working in cleaning toilets to running your own multi-millionaire status real estate company, which is incredible. So obviously, you know, people love to hear success stories, but there must have been a lot of years of of working very hard to get there. I'm sure it wasn't just an overnight success. And you're very hot on teaching about resilience, and as you said, you like the game of winning. Can you talk more about that concept of you know resilience and winning? Because your your book is, as you say, the title. I mean, as I read in the beginning, your title of your book is a story of resilience, self-acceptance, and success. And, and I, I assume that the resilience is what got you to self-accept, which then got you to success, kind of a pathway. Could you talk about that?
0: Yeah, I'm going to work about self-acceptance first, because in my self-acceptance was when I decided to be selfish. And which, that's definition, not that I put on what I heard from others. Right? They said, oh, you're selfish. You put yourself first. And I said, Oh my God, you're right. I'm going to like, and that is very selfish in my environment. So I put myself first because I was like, if I can, if I want to give a dollar out of my $10 to anyone, I have to have a $10, but I don't have any. So how can I give anything when I don't have it? So I was like, I'm just going to build myself and then I'll help. And then whoever will accept it will be there. And then I have a way bigger environment. I have, impacted so many people but i couldn't do that so first i was like okay i'm gonna accept myself then i accepted my the way i am you know i'm short my legs are not have scars and i am just not as manly as my partner whatever that is then i realized i am who i am at work at home at the restaurant i don't change it's exhausting to someone else so so once i let go of that i had also realized. I'm like sent to an island with a boat and all the boat being burned. I have no way out of it. I'm not going back to Iran. I'm not going to ask my dad to help me. I can't go back in a closet to be normal for people. But this is it. So I think it really helped when I didn't have a false hope. And I didn't have these people to say, take your time. It's okay come here. I'll take care of you. You don't have to do that. I didn't have that. It was just like, get up and stop crying for your, whatever you lost. So I developed this thing that I talked about in my other interviews that I developed this five minutes funeral. So whatever you lose, it's five minutes. Cry, bid yourself, do whatever you need, get over it because you can't write a new chapter if you keep doing old ones. So I- Move on. Like, if I lose something, I'll move
1: on. Sorry, Hama, I just wanted to stress that there. I hope the listeners and viewers got that. That's such a great, great practical concept there of a five-minute funeral. So you're not denying what you've lost. You're accepting, you are acknowledging the loss, crying and experiencing it, and then you're moving on. So you've reconceptualized it. And I talk a lot in my work about reconceptualizing. You can't just put a Band-Aid on that and just pretend it didn't exist and just push it down and or it's always going to be there. But by this by mm-hmm. having having that five minute funeral, you are getting it out and you're changing and saying, okay, well that's what's happened. there's something I say all the time in my work as a neuroscientist, and that is that you can't change what's happened to you, but you can change what's in you. So you your story is evidence of the fact that you can't change what happened to you. But you, you and it. but you can you can make something with it. So you were bullied for being who you are. And in in a time in our society which didn't accept that that this isn't very normal to be gay, that this is something that that's a normal thing, and you had to deal with all that pain and bullying and rejection and years and years of and then on top of that, the accident, there's so much you could be a very bitter twisted man. You could be, and you've got a lot of reasons to be basically in a bad place. And I'm sure you do have bad days because trauma, and, and that's totally normal to be upset and cry. but, but by by saying the 5 minute funeral. I, I'm very pleased about that because a lot of people I interview who've succeeded will often not acknowledge, n- not always, but won't always acknowledge. Well, a lot of people that I listen to will not always acknowledge, hey, listen, I've, I owned it. I did get upset. A lot of people will say, I pushed through. We all hear that. But there's a point where you push through that's sustainable and the sustainability comes from you have to acknowledge first. You have to get that pain out. I always use these toxic trees versus healthy trees which are what thoughts look like in the brain. And this would be all the toxic experiences you've had. And basically you reconceptualize it into that. So it still happened, but you've changed how it's playing out into your future. So I just wanted to emphasize and under, undergird that for my listeners, because there's a very real thing that's happened here. You acknowledged in order to move forward.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And what the I give you another way of talk about that is that I run towards my fear. So if I'm, ex, I have I don't if I have to deal with it I'm going to run towards it if you read the book eat the frog it's like you do it in the morning and just get it out of the way and so i give you a very simple example happened this morning I was driving very fast and the guy next to me was just cutting people and you know i was driving like him so he wasn't like he was better he was a horrible driver i was like trying to get to the dmv and he's cutting
1: you were doing the la thing
0: exactly. <laughs> we're both like young or on that night but we're both same age and we're both have a sporty car and we're I, but i was on paying attention to him i was on the phone and i'm just want to make sure i don't miss my appointment he caught in front of me and i was just driving too close to him and just not thinking about him and just like go just go man and We got to another red light. He comes next to me, put the window down and he goes like trying to cuss me or being angry. I said, you didn't do anything wrong. I was, uh, he goes, I didn't do anything wrong. I said, no, you didn't. I actually was too close to your car. I was just trying to get to my appointment. I'm sorry. He just looked. He goes, like, so you know you were
1: too close to my car? I'm like,
0: yeah. And he goes, okay, have a good day. I said, all right, And I, I, because I just cannot at 7, 10 a.m. to get a cuss, I already get beat up by 5 p.m. So I was like, no, it's just too soon. <laughs> Not this, and I just meditated. This has to be a little bit more positive. So I what I did. So the guy backed off. It didn't get darker. So in anything, I just go in a meeting. If I have to talk about something, I'll drop the bombshell right there. I'm like, if we have to address it, let's address it. Because then the power comes to like, we have to focus on the solution. We can't keep talking about what happened.
1: So if you're hiding it, it becomes the elephant in the room. And that's draining the energy. Everyone knows about it. So you've got to deal with it. I totally agree with you. That's the way to handle things. We have to deal with the stuff. And it's really messy. And it's really uncomfortable. But that's the only way you can repair and grow.
0: But it's shorter. Much shorter pain.
1: Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's maybe hectic and intense, but you, that's how we repair and how we go forward. Now, right. oh, that's amazing. So, so you were telling us then about your, your story then from the five-minute funeral and then going from there to how you push through the regrets and, and things that you had in your, and so you, you had, a, from what I'm hearing, you had a massive mindset shift. You just decided that, okay, this is what it is. I now have to move forward.
0: See when you lay down for 11 months and people come around just for 30 days and then no one comes back and then you lose everything. I was in gymnastics. I was in dance. I couldn't do it again. And then you lose your school. You have to leave your country. And then you, and then by the way, but, but you change your environment and the time just doesn't go. There's a building in front of me. They rebuilt it. And I, they have a brand new home built in front of me, and I'm still laying down, right? So you're just lay down over there and think, when it has to be more for me, it's I can't spend a minute of my life doing something that I don't like or regret. And that's what people say. You love real estate. I'm like, mm, no, I don't like every home I sell. No, I love when people are happy. I love when my growth happened. So I develop a. Passion of success and living a mark in what I do, whatever that is. That helped me to f- put my eye on what I, where I'm going and anyone in between who's damaging the way. For example, I get all the time. I don't know if that's going to work. I'm like, well, I'm going to find out and let you know.
1: Oh, that's yeah. great. I love that. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Say that again. That's really good. The people, that the I, naysayers in your life.
0: I, you don't hear people saying, go do this, is going to work. You hear people, all opinionated people are usually saying what not to do. So when I hear that, I'm like, well, I'm happy to share with you how that's going to work out. So I noticed I do things, half the things or 70% don't work. But then I have a lot more to show because I constantly took an action and they still waiting to see if that's the right action or is. So I'm very risk taker in a sense of, I mean, I calculate and I don't go after something I don't want. And I got used to, I think 10 years ago, I learned to say no. Like in like, it's an amazing opportunity, just not for me. Like I don't want it. I don't, I I can't have it all. I want to have what I want. And uh, I learned to say no. Uh, I I, I learned to not associate myself with people around me that they put a cap of where I'm going. Mm,
1: That's very, very important. It's that time of the year again, fall. I love the cozy autumn weather and one of my favorite mental self-care routines is to dress according to the season so I can truly enjoy the changing temperatures inside and outside. This is why I'm a big fan of Jenny Kane, my go-to shopping destination for all things stylish and comfortable, pieces that I'll be wearing well past four and for the years to come. Their stunning four pieces have simplified the art of getting dressed for me, making dressing up or just relaxing at home a perfectly stress-free, flattering and feel-good experience. From their beautiful cocoon cardigan, which dreamily suits sweater weather, to their cozy and lightweight fisherman cashmere knit, which pairs perfectly with weekends or work days, layered or worn solo. I can't get enough of Jenny Kane's incredible fall style. Jenny Kane truly believes that getting dressed should be the easiest part of your routine. With polished basics that will never go out of style, they make everyday moments a breeze. They elevate the basics focusing on comfort without sacrificing style or elegance. Find your favorite pieces at JennyKane.com and get 15% off your first order when you use the code LEAF at checkout. That's J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E dot com promo code LEAF. The link and details will be in the show notes. You said so many important things then, and I'm just going to summarize them and tell me if I'm hearing you correctly, because I think it's very, very, it's such great wisdom. So first of all, you, I see you as having a possibilities mindset and the possibilities mindset is that I'm going to, that's my goal. It's realistic. I think this is what I'm going to, what I'm going to achieve and how, and if that is the work, but I'm also not scared if it doesn't work out because I've learned what doesn't work. That's a possibilities mindset. That's what Thomas Edison did when he was asked about the thousand failures before he invented the light bulb. They said, What about all the failures? He said, I don't, it's not failures. He said that they're not bad. I know a thousand things that don't work. And that's the that's the mindset that gets a person to the point of success. Because and then the other thing I hear you saying is that yes, you are very successful and wealthy and so on. But I hear a little bit more depth to you and help me help me, if, what I'm, what I, if I'm hearing correctly. That, that's not so much the end goal. Yes, it's important to have money so you can help other people and comfortable lifestyle and et cetera, et cetera. But that isn't the ultimate goal. The, the goal is actually the process and the point that it's enabled you to now reach out and help others. So there's not a selfishness in, there's the good selfish and the bad selfish. The bad selfish is all about me, myself and I and nothing else but the good selfish is that you actually developed yourself to the point where you could have empathy for others. So you saw that if I do this, I can do so much more. So you've, there's been a, a kind of a, a healthy, a healthy version of, of, of selfishness there. So I want to really emphasize that point. So it was two things it was the possibilities, mindset and the selfishness. I don't know what the third one was. It'll come back in a moment, but do those two kind of summarize? Have I read absolutely. you correctly?
0: I yeah, absolutely. I do not care about money. I, one success. And that's not the same thing. Money comes when you have success. So I don't think about how much I made. I have sold homes for a family that I didn't charge anything. They never asked. And I, I don't, and more came out of it. You know, I have, I believe in karma and I never do it because I want it back. It just happens. I do a lot of things quietly and, But one thing I'm, when you said selfish, let me point out when I became selfish, 20 good, selfish version of selfish 20 years later that I got in that habit, I have 47 people on a payroll. And when COVID hit, I have never laid off anyone or taken their bonuses away. And the people in that 47, 50% of them been with me over six, seven years. So if I'm being selfish and has created opportunity, then I'm good selfish. I'm just going to continue being who I am because...
1: Exactly. That's the good selfish. It's fantastic. I love it. I love it.
0: I am me. I'm not living another life. I'm just, I'm happy with it.
1: So what you've actually done is in from a neuroscientific perspective or a psychoneurobiological perspective, which is the field I move in, as you know, is that the... You've actually done what I tell people to do all the time, and that is that you can't help, you know the statement, you can't help others until you help yourself. But that always sounds wrong because you've got a balance because it's also not about you, it's about you in the world. So good selfish is basically making sure that you are healthy inside yourself, that you have your self-acceptance, that you have your, your version of what success is, that you have your resilience being built, that you are looking after that because that actually increases your empathy. But if you drain yourself and you absorb everyone else's pain or you do the selfish, selfish, where you actually block people, where you put walls up and you don't, you don't protect yourself to help others. You actually, you actually change the, the whole way that you function. So what you've done is you've created a space in your neurobiology and your psychoneurobiology where you actually are so comfortable with yourself, which enables you now to have more empathy for others. So good selfishness increases empathy. Bad selfishness decreases empathy. So that's how I can explain it from a psychoneurobiological perspective.
0: And you're very right because I notice every time I even have a challenging conversation, clients, past employee, whoever, the number one thing I use by default, I use empathy. I'm like, how would this person feel right now? And then it makes the conversation much easier because I'm not attached to the result. I'm like, I'm just going to understand you. We might not go where I want to go, but i got to understand you because I can't be the only one talking. So and, you know, that's something I had to learn to speak less, listen more. The good leaders and the smart people are the last to speak. And usually you don't have to speak much if because it's going to go in the direction it's supposed to go in a meeting when the person is speaking. You know where that's oh, going. Oh, yeah.
1: Mm, I like that. Listen more, talk less and where it's, where, the, where it's supposed to go. It's going to go anyway. And it, also you get that advantage. The more you listen, the more insight you get into the situation. So that's something that is not
0: anyone wrong. I learned out you I'm never ever sit there and say you did wrong. If it's whatever it is, like it's an employee, I'm like just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. I'm not I don't do sit down, let me review. We do review, but if there's someone is not a match, there's no reason to make them wrong. You know, we're just not a match.
1: One of the most effective ways to improve brain health is ensuring your body receives proper daily nutrition. And while diet culture has made it increasingly more difficult to determine which foods are best, one thing remains constant, whole foods offer optimal nutrient absorption. This is why I recommend Memory's delicious whole food powders. It is the easiest way to get the highly absorbable whole foods your brain and body need to perform their best. I love how versatile their products are. It's your daily greens mix, your plant-based protein powder, and fiber-heavy gut health solution combine into a single form, and they make it extremely easy to incorporate into your daily routine. All three delicious flavors can be quickly mixed into an eight-ounce glass of water. I prefer the blackberry ginger with chilled water. Blend it with a smoothie, Or even incorporate it into your favorite recipes. One 8-ounce glass of memory contains over a serving of leafy green veggies, 10 grams of plant-based protein, 6 grams of fiber, and absolutely zero added sugars or sweeteners. It's also a great source of antioxidants, which comes from its first ingredients, blueberries, vitamin A and K, magnesium, and plant-based omega-3s. It is the perfect complement to your diet and a product that I recommend adding to your daily routine. Cleaning up the Mental Mess listeners will receive 30% off at checkout by going to yourmemory.com forward slash LEAF. That's Y-O-U-R-M-E-M-O-R-E dot com forward slash LEAF. The link and details will be in the show notes. How do you manage that process if they're in your company and they're not a match and you're not doing a review? How do you?
0: I have a mutual expectations that we sign when they join. So on the review, I'm like, how do you feel you're doing? And it just happened recently that great, talented lady and short time with me. But she even said, I don't think we're work together is a match. And I had, I didn't even go anything further. I said, no problem. Because see, people don't leave for money. They leave if they're unhappy. I don't want them to work with me two years if they're unhappy or me work with them for two years. We we need uh, eight hours a day, 160 hours a month. You spend with me to work, to make money, to be with your family. I better be a good person. You better love me. I better love you. We got to, So the environment is very important and it doesn't mean I have not done anything wrong. Trust me, I I, I learned all of this by doing things wrong. But the thing is the the way I learn English, it's okay to say things wrong first time, but come on, not the second, third, fourth time. You can't do the same mistake three times. Then that means the
1: person hasn't learned and grown. So it's, it's that it comes back to that, that statement I made earlier, that it's in the, it's one of my favorite things. I love to say, it's in the messiness that we can repair and grow, but you can't even repair and grow until you actually own the mess. So like you said, that you've made a lot of mistakes and that's where you've, and everyone says that, they said that we learn from our mistakes and we, but yet somehow people penalize people for making the mistakes in the first place. So I think it's, it's, it's even the like bosses, you're, you're, you're a boss, you have people working for you. They, they, if you've kind of failed, people can get difficult. So you've probably created the environment, if I listen to you, where you allow them to make mistakes as well as you to make mistakes. And it's kind of this organic process of growing forward. Is that kind of how you're doing
0: I actually learned many years ago when I joined Keller Williams, if they come up with a goal and they do their 100% and they get 20% result, it's so much more than you come up with a goal and tell them what to do. So although really painful, I sit down like, you tell me, do you think that's what you want to do? What is it that you want to do this month? Can you hit that number? Will that make you happy? What kind of impact will have that once they have an into it? And even they do half the effort, it's more than if I tell them what to do. So, leading is very different than managing, working with people or working through people is two different efforts. And, you know, uh, the effort that you have to make when you have an organization, and, you know, it's funny if you talk about the book, it's like my past has shaped why I act now. We'll say, that you have to learn that you can't just say I'm sorry. My dad beat me up, so I'm just going to be rough with everyone. You know that was my dad's excuse because, I said, well, I'm rough with you because my dad did that. I'm like you're perpetuating
1: patterns. You got to break yeah. the pattern
0: exactly. And you know, you said something, and this goes with your background. Humans, I believe, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, that we're the only animal that we punish ourselves for our same mistake over and over, and we don't forget it, and we talk, we memorize, it, and we do, and other. They just let it go. They don't do that again and they move on.
1: Exactly. So, it's a matter of learning from it and moving on. And we're the only
0: animals we constantly remember because we're, uh, our intelligent level is different. And why can't we just move on? It's so be-
1: true. I think there's so many rules and and laws in religions and cultures and just what we, you know, what we kind of define, how humanity is basically philosophically devi- defined that you've got to do these things and and we beat ourselves up so much. So I'm I'm a big proponent of saying to people that you're amazing. That's who you are. But how you're showing up is not who you are. There's a reason, you know, so mm-hmm. there's something going on and that's okay. So to keep that that identity whole so that you can continue to, to be a, a force of nature, literally, and change things for people. Well, this has been amazing talking to you. I've enjoyed every minute of it. And- I really uh, salute you for how you got through such, I mean, like 11 months, 13 months, 11 months in that, in that bed, 11, going through, I mean, we've only heard a tip of the iceberg. So where can people learn more about you and get your book and, and, you know, hear more about your story and be encouraged by your story?
0: My website is harmahartuni.com and you can get the book on there or Amazon. The name of the book is Getting Back Up. My email is on harmahartini.com. They can email me. I'm happy to respond. I get a lot of great feedback. It really gives me the pleasure to you know change some small lives. So thank I'm grateful for
1: that. Oh, well, thank you so much. We'll put those links in the show notes. And it's been a pleasure talking to you. And thank you for all the wisdom and insight and, and authenticity and sharing a really hard story. That's not an easy story to share. And And I'm so happy that things have turned out and I know you're going to touch many people's lives. So thank you so much for joining me today.
0: I'm grateful you did this for me. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much. I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful. If you want more tips and help with managing anxiety, depression and mental health, be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com and to sign up for my weekly newsletter, where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leaf. Also, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast. I love seeing what resonates with you and what you've learned. So be sure to continue posting and tagging me and letting me know what you think and how these tips worked out for you. And don't forget, leave a review and keep spreading the word about this podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope you learned something new and helpful. Till then, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf. This podcast represents the opinions of myself